I'm Renee Dallas, and this is The Growing Podcast. Here at Wifeboat.com, we're all about getting over to the other side. So whether you're in a storm or it's smooth sailing, we've got lots to talk about. Grab your gear and let's row, girl. Morning, everybody. Um, this class is Sexual Sin and the Process of Healing. And my name is Renee Dallas, and I'm so thrilled and honored to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm from California. I'm from Cali. I didn't know that people called it Cali because I'm from California, but everybody outside of California calls it Cali, which I didn't know <laughs> until I left California, until I left Cali. Uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's me, that's me. I'm a Cali girl, although I was originally born in Toronto, Canada, but grew up in California, been there since I was four years old. So, so today I wanna talk to you about the process of healing from a discipleship perspective. So the process of healing from sexual sin from a discipleship perspective. Uh, the reason why is I believe that at some point, especially here in this country, um, the church is gonna end up being the only option. Mm -hmm. There are so many laws being passed now that are prohibiting people who are therapists or clinicians uh, from, from helping people, especially in the area of same-sex attraction. Uh, where if the, the person uh, wants help, they will not be able to get it, and they will not be able to get a referral. It will be against the law. The church is going to be the last place people can come to get help for healing and brokenness in this area, and clarity, too. So uh, that's why I think it's really important for church uh, leaders and lay leaders and just every one of us to be prepared to help people in this area. Um, so we're going to be talking about the theology of healing and my own experience here in ministry. Um, I have worked with wives. I have worked with husbands. I've worked with couples. My husband has done the bulk of the more heavy pastoral counseling, but I have done a lot of work with them in support groups and mentoring and, and that type of thing as well. So uh, if you do want some information on clinical you know, issues regarding people who are struggling with sexual sin, you can see me later. There's a lot of good Christian books out there now that there didn't used to be. <laughs> you know, when we started 30 years ago, there was very few. Uh, so see me later and I can give you some referrals if you want more on that. Now it takes great courage to embark on a personal journey towards health and wholeness. And sometimes we put expectations on healing, especially after we hear people's testimonies. Whoa, that was wonderful. We think that that's gonna happen in our life the way it happened in somebody else's life. And sometimes there are similarities and the principles are always the same of healing. Uh, but, but one size does not fit all. So we, but we do get sort of romanticized notions of what sexual healing is going to look like for us if we've been broken in this area if we've really uh, 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 struggled in that area uh, so we don't always realize the hard work and perseverance that goes into it like the person's backstory you you might hear the the great 
story you hear out front on a pulpit or in a, on a podcast or something, you, but you don't know the backstory and how hard that was. And you're not always going to get that. And then we get discouraged. We get discouraged because that didn't seem to happen for that person. How come I'm being <coughs> discouraged and I'm having such a hard time? We know what the scripture says, that when we come to Christ, all things are made new, that we are new creatures in Christ, right? But we also know there's a process involved. And that process is where we often get stuck. I think C.S. Lewis uh, described the importance of perseverance, motivation, when he said this, it may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while still remaining in an egg. We are like eggs at the present. And you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary egg. We must be hatched or go bad. We must be hatched or go bad. Leaving unhealthy attachments and behaviors involving sexual sin are not easy because they filled a void for us. They filled something that we really needed, a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. They filled the void, and they have become for us our security. But we were meant to be hatched into freedom, and we're meant to fly to the purpose God has for us. So if we stay in the egg, we will never really discover what God has for us. So we're meant to be hatched into freedom. So I hope that this workshop uh, will help us put courage back into the hearts of people we work with, and maybe courage back into our own hearts uh, so that we can understand the biblical concepts and apply them and then persevere in them. So I want to give you, I'm going to do this presentation based on four main points. Uh, so if you want to write these down and then I'll just expound on them as we go along. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about healing. We're going to talk about motivation. We're going to talk about process. And then we're going to talk about perseverance. So let's start first with defining the theology of healing. I think understanding this is the key to everything because Jesus said, if you're going to build a house, you need to count the cost or you're going to quit halfway through and you'll be embarrassed. You'll be discouraged. You'll give up. Right. So our testimonies suffer when we don't count the cost and people who are caught up in sexual sin are using these voids of intimacy and they use this intensive sexual experience to, to help them feel better, right? And uh, they want to feel fixed right away. And when they start saying I'm no to those behaviors, there is this real process of, of, of being terrified because if you're not going to have that, what do you have? It's very terrifying for somebody to leave sexual behaviors because they they've been using it to feel better about themselves or to fill a void or whatever so uh, they have a harder time tolerating the ups and the downs of real life and real relationships so it is terrifying and it's very tempting just to stop and go back so counting the cost is important understanding what healing is and in Christ what the theology of healing is is really important before we get started 
understand what what you're starting, what in journey you're embarking on. It's almost like if you start the journey, but you actually didn't know where you're going. You know, how, how would it be like if you got on a plane, you thought you were going to California, but you end up in Italy. Wait a second. That's not exactly where I thought I was going. So understanding the process, understanding what healing means, and being able to refer back to it, especially when things get rough, is really, really helpful. So we might want to stop, but God says he is always at work. In John 5, 17, Jesus said, my father is always at work to this very day, and I am always at work. That to me is most reassuring. He never stops working even when we stop. And even when we stop and we have a setback, he never stops working. That reassures me. So the next question is, well then how does he work? Here's how he works. He saves. Jesus saves. Well, we've all heard that, but what does that mean? The Greek word for save is soza and it means salvation. There's three tenses to the word. I am being saved, or I have been saved, excuse me, let's start with that one. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. When I became a Christian, when I became born again, I was my sins were immediately forgiven, and I am now free from the penalty of all my sins. I have been saved. I am being saved from the power of sin. There's an ongoing process. I'm being saved from the power of sin in my life. And number three, I shall be saved from the presence of sin. At some point, when I get to heaven, now I see darkly, then I shall see face to face, the presence of sin will be gone. I won't even have, it won't be an issue anymore. Mm -hmm. But where are we right now? We're in number two. We are being saved from the power of sin. We're right now in the process of being saved from the power of sin. So when we get saved, it's not a one and done. We are constantly being saved. And why do I want to use the word saved? Well, here's another thing about the word soza. It's translated salvation, but it's also translated health in the New Testament. In Acts 27, 34, Paul tells the crew who is about to be shipwrecked, he says, take some meat for your health. And that word health is the word soza, which is also translated salvation. So soza, if you want to look at the translation of it, means to save from perishing, to make well, to heal, to restore to health, to rescue from the danger of destruction. Wow, if we're being saved from the power of sin, we are being rescued from the danger of destruction. And the soul who is involved in sexual sin is in the process of being destructed. Because in, uh, in, in the book of Corinthians it says, he who who commits sexual sin is committing sin against his own body, yeah. right? There's other sins that are committed outside the body. This is committed against your own body. And so there is a lot of fragmenting and soul wounds that come up when we ourselves participate in sexual sin. So 
what we're looking at here is being saved from the destructive power of sexual sin in our lives, saving from the power of sin. So our salvation starts the process of healing. So we're born again. We go from death to life. We are now dead to sin. Our identity is in Christ. So we have, uh, like it says in the Romans 6, it says, reckon the old man dead. You, you decide, you account for. Reckon is like, I make an accounting. I have accounted now that I'm born again and I, ha I have a spirit that's alive to God. I've accounted in my mind that I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to Christ. All that stuff that gave me death is dead and now I'm just working and walking in life towards Christ. Now I have a new identity. I'm not this anymore. I don't have to identify with my fallen human nature. I may have to contend with it, but I don't identify with it anymore because my identity now is in Christ. I belong to him. He said I'm a new creature. So, okay, this is where many of us get tripped up. Mm -hmm. We go, well, he, well, you know, he said I'm a new creature. Well, then how come, boom, mm -hmm. yeah. all these yeah. sexual desires and feelings and acting out and attachments, they're not going away. Mm -hmm. He said I'm a new creature. Well, that's because we don't always understand the process of being saved from the power of sin. There's a process involved. So let's talk about what's next. Now that I have an identity in Christ, my heart belongs to him. Where is, what does my heart do? Okay, I, I think we have to understand what is our, our heart, our soul, our emotions. This is where we filter decisions choices we make, attachments we make. We, we might attach to the wrong people. You know, we might attach to the wrong concepts. This is where our belief systems are all worked out. And this is where we make our choices based on beliefs. Now we can believe something true. We can believe something that's a lie, but we act on what we believe. Mm -hmm. So our heart belongs to Christ. And now as we submit everything to him, uh, we have a new identity and this heart will now begin to filter things differently. Okay. So I believe that healing requires an honest heart. That's point number one here. So if you have an honest heart and you love God, you're then now willing. I think there's a point where we surrender things to him and we say, I'm willing to suffer the loss of this unhealthy thing in order to gain health from you, Lord. Step, step one, be honest and be willing to surrender the unhealthy in order to gain the healthy. And so that person is in the process of healing, the person who is um, uh, seeking God. And the next thing they would do, if you're talking about your heart, is to guard your heart, right? Proverbs 4.23 tells us, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guarding your heart means self-awareness. You know, Paul uh, told Timothy, take heed to yourself and to your doctrine, for if you do that, you will save yourself and all of your hearers. Take, pay attention to what you're feeling, what you're doing. Be aware of your reactions. 
ask God to give you new eyes, new insight. We get into these patterns where we just launch. We just launch. We automatically go, whoa, how did I do that? So I, I would say, you know, ask God to give you, or if you're working with somebody, say, let's just work on you being self-aware. Let's just work with you journaling what your feelings are so we can kind of gauge what makes you launch into some of these feelings and reactions and behaviors, right? So self-awareness. Why? Because we can rationalize anything, don't we? We'll always come up for, with a good reason to, to go for what we crave, even though we know it's not right. So self-awareness. One of my favorite quotes from uh, Thomas Jefferson, vigilance is the price of liberty. Isn't that a great quote? And isn't it a great spiritual application? If I take heed to myself and to my doctrine, I will save myself. What does that mean? I'm not going to save myself. Christ saved me. But I will put, be participating in the process of healing if I pay attention and I, I guard my heart. It is frustrating sometimes working with people in the process, though, um, because they can still be very fragmented in their desires. Um, I've worked with husbands and wives. A uh, husband may have been addicted to pornography or, you know, a lot of anonymous sexual encounter encounters, and his mind is very fragmented. When a person is involved in sexual sin, it's like little pieces of them are all over the place. Little pieces of their soul. As Paul said, when you, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, don't you know when you join yourself to a harlot, you become one, you become one with that person. So people that have a lot of uh, sexual, uh, anonymous sexual encounters, or they're very hooked on pornography, uh, their mind becomes fragmented. Their, their mind is over here hooked into some kind of fantasy. Uh, and, and, uh, you somehow become like 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 the you know when your digital TV screen starts fragmenting, you can't really see very well. There's like little pieces and digital things. That's what your mind is sort of like, and what your soul is sort of like when you've been really heavily involved in sexual sin. So, it's hard to work with somebody sometimes when they're very fragmented and they're working through the process. Wives will tell me uh, when I'm working with wives, they'll be like, my husband is like in the same room with me, but his mind has left the building, right? He's not very present with me. So um, that's, that's uh, a very frustrating thing. And so one of the things that I do when I'm working with people and one of the things, even anybody who's themselves working on recovery in this area is to do reality checks because sometimes you're hooked into something or you have a flashback or something that happened one of the things to do is just come back to reality and start asking yourself questions that's involved that's what self-awareness is part of too um, so do reality checks reconnect them with their identity in Christ uh, ask the kind of question like this so how was your devotion life this week? What'd you read this week? Uh, yeah. You know, let's, let's start talking. How were, you know, how is your relationship with Christ? Um, how is your, what are your key relationships looking like this week? Did you have good communication with your kids? How's you and your spouse working out some of your issues? Did you have a, a time where you just sat down and prayed together? You know, get back to 
real life, what's real life looking like for you. I think that's really important. Again, because um, somebody who has had uh, a lot of issues with this tends to want to move away from reality. We need to move back to reality. Um, they have a low tolerance for real relationships and the ups and downs of real relationships. So doing reality checks with yourself or with the people you're working with is really, really important. And you need to do them on a regular basis. Next point to this is that motivation determines success. And success is defined, for me anyway, is continual growth in holiness and wholeness. It doesn't mean you're perfect. In fact, we don't want to think, I finally arrived, because that's a black and white way of looking at things, and nothing's black and white. It's usually somewhere messy in the middle, right? So success is continual or consistent growth. That's what mean, that's how I can kind of determine how is this person doing? Are they getting over this? Are they moving forward in, in this? They're growing. They're connected. That's, that's what success is. So I guess the next question is, so what is a person's motivation for leaving sexual sin? There's an old saying, you probably have heard it, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Anybody hear that? You want me to say it again? A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So why is this person coming into counseling or coming into ministry or deciding to break free from some old sexual behaviors that are not in God's will? Um, when I did this class last yesterday, the first thing I heard people say was, oh, they came because their wife wanted them to, right? Or they come because their parents said, or their friends were pushing it. Uh, but uh, I think it's difficult um, unless the person really knows why they want to do it. So I guess that would be another question you would ask yourself or you would ask the people that you're working with. What is your why? Capital W-H-Y. What is your why? If the person can't define their why, they can do all the what, but they will never find success. They won't grow. Um, and my why is going to be different from your why. Everybody has to find their own why. Why do I want to be doing this? So uh, motivation really happens, I think, when they find their why. But here's what I think happens, too. Motivation occurs when a person begins to see through his or her old lies. I'll give you a good example. I had a problem with um, uh, feeling like things could complete me. I love to go shopping. I like to be creative. And so sort of, I sort of would say, if I accumulate more of this or I, I have these kind of clothes or this kind of bag or this kind of whatever, uh, you know, it sort of will make, fill a void in me. It'll me. It's an external thing that somehow will complete me, right? So one day I had to go to, um, to the store. I live in Southern California. We have South Coast Plaza. South Coast Plaza is the most shopped at plaza in the world. It's better than Rodeo Drive. Wow. It's, it's, it's international. 
okay? And it's multilingual. They got concierge in all these different languages. And so there I am at South Coast Plaza. I go into the Macy's. It's an incredible Macy's. I need to buy a new wallet. I walk into the section with all the purses and bags. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my gosh, who in the world would... I could buy every single bag in here and it would never be enough for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who in the world? It was so overwhelming. I thought all of a sudden I began to see through the materialistic sort of view I had and the, the, the fact that none of this is, is worth anything. And, and so it began to change my heart. And once my heart began to change, my behavior began to change, my motivation for going shopping was different. I didn't really want that stuff so much anymore. I began to see through my old lies. And this is where I think if we're having trouble, we need to pray and say, God, give me your eyes for this. Let me see this through your eyes. My friend who's a counselor says this a lot. She says, we have to be dangled over our own depravity <laughs> to see how our choices lead to death. Wow. We have to be dangled over our own depravity to see how our choices lead to death. That's seeing it from God's point of view, isn't it? He wants to save us from that, right? Mm -hmm. So when the fog of the lies burn off in the light of the truth, then motivation will become intrinsic. We talked about our hearts. It'll come from in here instead of extrinsic. When somebody says, you need to get into recovery. I'm gonna bring you to a counselor. And you're like, eh. that's external. Internal, when the fog burns off and the light starts shining on your understanding, that's when it becomes intrinsic and motivation is going to determine your success. So um, as a person then uh, starts turning from incorporating lies into their lives and living in the light of the truth, and as they begin to now dare to believe that God will take care of them in this process of healing, then they start going through the process. And this is where the rubber starts meeting the road. But I really think that that's the motivation and the turning into the light of the truth is essential or you're not gonna get anywhere. So there's some work to be done in that motivation area if, if somebody isn't really finding the why. And that's where you might have to park for a while if you're working with somebody, right? So let's talk about the process of healing then. So uh, I'm going to give you three points just to help you understand what the process will typically look like. Okay. Number one would be identifying unhealthy attachments and behaviors. Uh, being willing to use available resources and managing cycles of temptation. So identifying unhealthy uh, relationships and attachments um, and why are they filling the void? Jesus said this, and I think this is a really good way to look at it. Jesus said, a good man brings good things out of the good things stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil out of the 
evil stored up in him. So let's talk about stored up. I started thinking about this. The word for stored up is also translated treasure, the treasure in your heart. You know, nowadays on the internet, you'll hear the word curated. You go to website, websites, fashion websites. We have a new fashion collection which is curated just for you. What does that mean? That's what a museum, uh, a guy who runs a museum does. He curates a collection for people to come and see. So what's stored up in our heart? There's a collection of things that we've stored up one by one, one by one. What have I stored up in here? Okay, and, and uh, we've done this sort of habitually or over the years, we've stored up curated things in our heart. Now, if it's good stuff, then we bring good stuff out of that collection. If it's bad or it's evil, evil comes out of it. All right. So I like to tell people, what's in your heart? Do you have this, you know, beautiful museum full of beautiful art and poetry? Or do you have Ripley's Believe It or Not? <laughs> and I don't know about you guys. Have you ever been to Ripley's Believe It or Not? There's one in California. It's a little scary. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, if it's Ripley's Believe It or Not, what's going to come out of that? A little scary stuff. Uh, and, you know, most of us are not all good or all bad, right? Uh, most of us have a little bit of both. So let's say, I like to say, we've, we've got a, a nice museum going here with some beautiful art, but then we have the Stephen King closet, okay? I call it the Stephen King closet. It's that closet underneath the stairway, you know, where you just throw all your junk you don't want to pay attention to. That's where, that's where we got to go. Go to the Stephen King closet and start taking a look at stuff in there and just pray nothing's going to reach out, grab you by the ankle, pull you in, right? Go to the Stephen King closet and, and start praying, Lord, what's in my Stephen King closet? Will you begin, Holy Spirit, to reveal to me what I need to repent of? You can't repent of something unless you acknowledge it and then you make a conscious decision to turn from it, right? So uh, what is stored up? That's, that's uh, step number one, identifying those things. Um, and that is essential because um, we have to learn to look at the stuff we've been ignoring. Otherwise, we're just going to launch every time that thing hits us. That thing we remembered, that thing in the Stephen King closet that's up here, <laughs> we're going to launch. We don't want to launch. We want to give it some space. We need to look at it and then deal with it in a, in a way that, where we're intentionally turning from it, right? Number two, uh, once you start cleaning out Stephen King's closet, what are you going to do? You replace that old stuff with good stuff, right? And this is where a lot of people who are addicts or have engaged in this stuff, they're, they're addicted to the intensity and the immediacy of sexual experience, right? To fill the, the void. Um, sometimes I go, oh, that's boring. Spiritual disciplines? I mean, come on. Does this mean every day I have to, you know, read my Bible? Yes. yes. Okay. Because you got to replace all that bad stuff with the good stuff. Okay. So what does it mean? Read the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful. It's able to discern between the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Holy Spirit takes the word of God. He will talk to you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
he will tell you, he will take that word and, and you yourself, each individual will receive a word from the Holy Spirit through the word of God. Second spiritual discipline is prayer. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at prayer as a conversation with God, if you don't read the word of God, it's very one-sided, okay? God speaks to us from his word. We respond back to him, and now we have a conversation. If you don't know his word, it's one-sided. It's not right. really prayer. You need to know what he says, and you need to respond to him when you pray, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, prayer, authentic fellowship. We're not talking just getting together to go skiing or go to the ball game, although that's great. And we, need, we all need good social experience with one another. But authentic fellowship is based on the idea of partnership. The Greek word is koinonia. You've probably heard it. Koinonia is this huge word. You, people throw it around, but this has got just mega meaning to me. But it means people are partnering together. You're supporting one another. There's an authentic sharing, not just of money. You hear a lot of it sharing, uh, just sharing funds or whatever, sharing your heart with one another, supporting one another, authentic fellowship. Mm -hmm. That might mean being in a small group, having a close friend, but doing this on a regular basis where you're really getting the deep fellowship in the Lord and in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives you that koinonia. It's not just regular, hey, this is a great community. We're talking fellowship in the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, like it says in, um, I think it's the end of Second Corinthians, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Authentic fellowship. And then lastly, uh, service. People that uh, uh, have been in, involved in sexual sin tend to feel a lot of shame they feel a lot of shame and they're very they can very, become very isolated they don't reach out to people it's mm. it's it's very difficult and and so when they serve they begin to get out of themselves i don't know anything better than to 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 give the love that you've received from god to others when you serve them okay. serving people gets you out of it so find a place to go serve and go do it on a regular basis um so that is step one. I don't do 12, I only do three. <laughs> okay, number two, being willing to use available resources. Uh, we have to be willing to do it God's way. Like uh, for you, it might look different than for somebody else. Um, uh, what's available to you? I, I said in the uh, class last time, well, some people might go, well, the only way I can recover is if I go to this guy who's got five PhDs and I can't afford him, so, oh well, I can't do this. You know, what's available to you and be willing to use available resources. I was thinking of Second Kings chapter five. There's a, a character named Naaman in there. Mm -hmm. Naaman is a great and powerful commander of the army of uh, Aram, but Naaman has leprosy. So Laman hears about this prophet in Israel, Elisha, and he decides, I'm gonna go see Elisha. So he comes out to Elijah's house with fanfare. Everybody's, you know, great fanfare. He gets to Elijah's house and says, here I am, 
you can heal me, you know, and Elisha doesn't even come out of the house. Elisha sends his servant out and and says, hey, uh, uh, Elisha says, if you want to be healed, go out to the River Jordan and wash in it uh, seven times. Then he leaves. He's like, what? (laughs) And then I think he comes out a second time. He's like, oh, my gosh, I am totally insulted. You know who I am? Do you know who I am, who you're talking to? Well, you know, the story's the same. Go to the Jordan River and wash in it seven times. Yeah, but it's muddy. Has anybody here ever been to the Jordan? It's muddy, it's brown, and it's really slimy and slippery. You have to, you you could slip on these rocks really easily. Uh, So, yeah, who wants to go into this muddy, slimy river? You know, uh, it's dirty. I mean, aren't there other places to go? Um, And so I'm insulted. I mean, I'm a great man. But eventually, okay, he humbles himself. He goes, he washes, and he is healed. So we have to be open to all available things. Prayer, church groups, therapy, maybe some mentoring. Maybe you don't like everybody in the group, but you're going to the group. Maybe you have some preconceived notions about how stupid all of that is. You know, you know we, we, we kind of make up reasons why we can defend against our own healing. Because, you know, this is a, a habit that meant a lot to us, and it's pretty scary to give up. Yeah. So uh, I think we have to really look at investing in humility. That's key to any kind of healing. So don't look down on those simple saints. Some of the, the most powerful saints that I've known were people on the outside. If you looked at them, you would, like, never give them a second look. These people are amazing prayer warriors. They know the Word of God. They have deep, deep wisdom. Don't um, uh, discount the experience of the body of Christ and, and what the people in your fellowship have for you. Invest in a heart of humility and lean into the wisdom of God because God often uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians. Okay. Managing temptations. C.S. Lewis said this, we must learn from experience to avoid either trains of thought or social situations, which for us, not necessarily for everyone, can lead to temptations. Like motoring, don't wait till the last minute to put on the brakes. (laughs) But put them on gently and quietly while the danger is still a good way off. So managing temptations, like what I get from this is, have a strategy for managing your temptations. Know what your your triggers are, what your cues are, and have a strategy in place for managing them. There's some really practical things that can be done. Um, One of them would be setting healthy boundaries with people. Now that seems kind of weird, but there are people in your life that will disrespect you, that will discount you, that will criticize you, that will make you feel awful about yourself. And those are the people that can trigger you and tempt you towards going back to old behaviors, old attachments, old bad decision making, okay? So you may have to talk to those people and set some boundaries with them or avoid them or avoid situations. There's a book called uh, Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. I recommend getting that. That'll give you a lot more detail on that. So setting boundaries. Accountability and structure. 
putting yourself in a structure and committing to it. So you're going to an accountability group with some people every week and you stick to it. Good, bad, ugly, you stick with it. I have some friends who are in recovery from alcohol. The, the, this guy uh, was suffering from it, was in rebellion from recovery from it, but once he decided every night of the week he's in a group. Wow. And, he's, and he's committed to it, he's not going to change and that his life is changing because of it. He committed to his structure, okay? So getting yourself in accountability, if you don't have a group was around, get in with some friends who are good friends that you can talk to and be accountable to one another for, for what you're, you're sitting, setting out to do on, on the journey. Um, commit to being in community and not isolation. It's very easy to isolate because it's very safe there but commit to being in community. In Psalm 90 verse 12, it says, teach us to number our days. So aright, teach us to number our days aright so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. So there is something to that process where we're committing to participating in the healing process. My husband likes to say, you can repent of your sin, but you can't repent of your wounds. Okay, so you can repent of the behavior that got you, to, that got you into this situation, but you can't repent of the wounds because God is, God is the one who has to heal the wounds. You might be very wounded by what happened. You might have been very wounded by people and those people were the very ones that drove you to act out or to attach wrong in, in, in to use sex or some kind of sexual behavior to fill a void, okay? You can't repent of your wounds, but you have to take responsibility to participate in the healing process. And that's a really a key to the whole thing. So uh, being in that structure, teach us to number our days aright so we might gain a heart of wisdom. Okay, I number my days aright. I'm asking God to teach me as I'm going through this structure. He will give me a heart of wisdom. It will happen. Okay. And then finally, perseverance. So we started on the journey. We have some structure. We've counted the cost. We pretty much know where we want to go. We know what our why is. And now we have to just persevere, persevere, persevere. So repentance is changing your mind and turning, right? The Greek word is to change your mind. The Hebrew word is to turn. Change my mind and I turned. Perseverance means my mind is constantly being transformed. So in Romans 12, it says, I beseech you to present your bodies to Christ a living sacrifice which is your reasonable act of service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Repentance is a continual changing of your mind. You're not just one and done when you repented initially and became a Christian. You are constantly being freed from the power of sin 
And that is being done because your mind is being renewed. You're constantly changing your mind as you, as you are participating in your own healing, right? You're changing the way you think. This is all going to start changing. The Word of God changes you. Everything you're going to do to participate will begin to change your mind. Does that mean that you're going to not struggle anymore? No. We might get to the point where those feelings have diminished and they don't have control over us. Uh, um, and we might be, but we also have to be aware that we can always be tempted again. Um, it doesn't mean we're going to always, we're going to be perfect, but we are going to be, what's success mean? Continual and consistent growth. As long as we're continually and consistently growing, we're having success, right? So my mind is constantly in this process of being transformed. And um, um, as a result, uh, if I'm wounded in soul and spirit, um, I'm going to be getting to feel some healing mm -hmm. there. But uh, if... If by God's grace we throw it all on him, I want to give you a scripture I think that's so applicable here. Jesus will give rest to our souls because really in the end, only he can satisfy us. Amen. Only he can. And um, I can just tell you, I just want to just encourage you because I gave a lot of lip service to the spiritual disciplines. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been in ministry for a long time. Um, but when I really actually started doing it, I changed. I heard from God. I was reassured of his love for me. It wasn't just somebody told me God loves you. I know it. I know it. I know he keeps his promises. I know he doesn't lie to me. Why? Because I finally got to the point where I actually started to incorporate those spiritual disciplines, the ones we talked about. You will know his love firsthand. You will know him firsthand. And that's where you're going to find real satisfaction in your life because only his love will satisfy you. So we can persevere in all as long as we know that he can satisfy all of our longings. As David said, and I want to leave you with this scripture, it's Psalm 90 verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we might sing for joy and be glad all our days. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we might sing for joy and be glad all our days. All our days, that's perseverance. All our days. And then finally, when we get to number three, saved from the presence of sin, there we are. Okay, so I want to encourage you. Let's just pray. Let's just pray. Oh, Lord, we so thank you for your work. Lord, when we were yet sinners, we were helpless. You loved us and you, you gave yourself for us so that we might be saved, so that we might be healed. It's not just all on us anymore, Lord. It's on you and you have provided everything we need. So Lord, we just commit this to you. If we're working with people who are struggling in this area, give us wisdom. Mm -hmm. Help us to understand how deeply you love us and you love them and what the process is. 
And if any of us are struggling with this ourselves, Lord, I pray you, you speak to our hearts, each one, and let us know how deeply we are loved by you and that we could be grounded and embedded in your love and not anybody else, not anything else, not any other fantasy, but your love embedded in us, Lord, will heal us. And we thank you for that. Grant us that knowledge and grant us the perseverance, Lord, by your Holy Spirit and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Renee Dallas, and this has been Growing, a podcast to get you to the other side. You can get more information, read my blog, or contact me by going to wifeboat.com. I look forward to seeing you next time. And until then, you row, girl.